2: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now... In Britain, the country appears to be in almost permanent crisis last week. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak escaped narrowly from having to resign in a fight with his own party or within his own party about his Rwanda policy. It is a bizarre policy which we'll come to also last week and much more seriously in an Irish context There's around 173,000 public servants in the north on strike last week. The members of 16 unions, teachers, doctors, nurses, essential servants to the country were threatening to stay on strike, and they're threatening more strikes. There's a million people in the north without a government. The Assembly has not been able to sit since uh, October 22. And, of course, if it were to sit... Sinn Féin would provide the first uh, minister and some people believe that that is a prospect the DUP cannot countenance. They deny that of course but they are still holding everybody to ransom including the Tory government. We're joined now from London by Chris Johns, Chris former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, and now a respected commentator. Chris, Happy New Year to you. It's good to hear from you again. The Rwanda thing first. It is the most extraordinary thing. Last week, the House of Commons and the Tory party were divided. It was a bitter division in the Tory party. Sunak survived the vote, but he was prepared to put his premiership at risk over Rwanda.
2: Yeah, I was speaking with uh, somebody that knows Sunak very well uh, the other day and likes him and respects him uh, as, a, as a smart, hardworking man, but said to me that one of the things that's become apparent since Sunak took over is that he's actually a hopeless politician, yes. that his political instincts are very, very poor, and that he exists in some kind of Downing Street bubble. And has failed to take all of the opportunities that have been presented to him to put some distance between his administration and the disasters of, in particular, the Johnson and Truss administrations, and that he's failed to do the obvious politically advantageous things that would have put him in a much better position that he's actually in. On the on the Rwanda thing, for example, he could have Put it to the back burner. He could have downplayed it. It was never something that he could resile from completely. But it 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 wasn't necessary for him politically to make this Rwanda thing front and center of his policy objectives. He could have his his famous five objectives that included lots of economic factors that were very important, including uh, did include this thing stop the boats. And the reason why it's not very clever to say something like that is that all his predecessors said exactly the same thing and failed. So clearly, from a practical point of view, it is something incredibly difficult to do. He's fighting the British legal system in, in, all the way up to the Supreme Court in order to so-called stop the boats. Even if he gets his policy through the House of Lords now, which is where it is currently stuck, It's not clear that he will be able to surmount all of these legal issues that that he's got. It's not even clear, if you think about these poor people coming on these boats, the idea is that being sent to Rwanda, or at least the possibility that they will be deported to Rwanda on arriving on British South Coast beaches, that this will be a deterrent now, these are people who in the last few weeks have been dying in the channel, taking yes. risks with their lives. So the idea that it would form uh, an effective deterrent, I think is a suspect one, given the obvious risks that they, if, if you get on a boat knowing that you might die, I wonder just how much of a deterrent um, being deported to Rwanda might actually do. So on so many levels, it makes no sense to make it. The the centerpiece of your policy platform, and it's a particular example of which there are many, Eamon, of how he's chosen to fight battles that he can't win, Yes, that don't give him a political dividend, even if he does win, and uh, it's puzzling to a lot of people. I've read some very respected political commentators, Stephen Bush and the F.T., for example, is just one who said that they can't understand why he is operating in this way. It demonstrates a lack of political nous, um, a lack of political intelligence, going back to the remarks that I made ma- made earlier on. And it, he's existing in some kind of Downing Street bubble that I think is is, is serving him very, very badly. There was a, a vox pop, I don't know whether you saw it, It was it was quite extraordinary, just the other day, a couple of days ago, in which he was out and about on the streets and the politicians in this country in any country always run this risk he was accosted by an angry middle-aged woman about the NHS who asked him why can't we get the NHS back to where it was and do you know what sunak's reaction was he laughed and walked yes. away yeah. um, extraordinary and that that that's the you know that's politically such a silly stupid thing to do it suggests that he's very out of touch and frankly, is is at the fag end of a tired administration that really doesn't know what it's doing. The Tory party, as it has done for so long, is still only involved in a dialogue with itself. Yes, It's not talking to the people. It's not listening to the people. It doesn't actually realize that immigration is no longer... The, the big issue for British people that it used to be, people, if you look at all of the opinion polls, uh, when people are asked about their attitude towards immigration, they're now much, much more relaxed about it as a country than, than we were in the past. The, the one, I suppose, irony of Brexit is that having taken control of immigration, um, it's gone up. But the fact that we are now in control of it and the reasons why it's gone up are because of decisions taken by the government. They are in control of something that's going up, not down as they promised. Um, means that people are genuinely more relaxed about it because they feel that the, the, the government, the, the, whatever immigration is, is something that is under British control. So pe- people are, are saying to Sunak, it's not the big deal that you think it is.
0: Yes. And I mean, he appears to be uh, this whole Rwanda plan was the former. Home Secretary Suella Braverman's idea and her dream, she said, when she was Home Secretary, was to see a jumbo jet leaving Heathrow full of people being returned to Rwanda, uh, which, of course, could well have been one of the places uh, they were running away from uh, because while no immigrant has been sent to Rwanda... And there are people arriving in Britain from Rwanda seeking asylum. It is a a farce, but and so is the situation in the north here, which does affect us. There are one million people on this island, Chris. The Northern Secretary is Chris Heaton-Harris. He says he's got three point six billion to give the striking workers, but they have to be in a functioning Parliament, which the Northern Ireland Assembly should be, but hasn't been for a couple of years now. Is it 14 years and they're just, and so many splits in the party, so many prime ministers and so many poor prime ministers, Liz Truss being a perfect example, Boris Johnson being another example. But it does have an effect here, and it's quite serious that we that have a million people on this island being denied governance. I mean, Heaton Harris has money, he says, to stop these strikes. Public servants, nurses in particular, but all public servants in the North, earn far less than they do public servants here and indeed on what they call the mainland, which is Britain. It's not just Rwanda, it's the kind of inability to deal with the DUP, which is really a minor party.
2: Yes, and there are so many issues there. The lack of democratic. Governance in Northern Ireland is an absolute disgrace, and it it, it just reveals, however, the lack of concern, the lack of interest that there is in Westminster in things Northern
0: Irish. Um, Can I ask you, Chris, I think mm -hmm. I've asked you, excuse me, interrupting, you're living there, I mean, do the British people care? No, no. Not at about all, Northern
2: Ireland. No, I mean, if you ask them, of course they will say yes, we do. But I think a better question is, do you ever think about Northern Ireland? And the answer to that would be no. And then I think the subsidiary question, the human question, is well, if you did think about them, would you care about them? And then people would say yes, they, we're not that bad. That we yes. say that we say we don't care. I think the the reality is that we just simply do not think about it. It doesn't attract any news. Um, on our six o'clock or nine o'clock or 10 o'clock news programs, there are no headlines in any of the newspapers to the extent that they're read anymore. If Northern Ireland appears anywhere, it's on the inside pages. It's on specialist online publications. So it is just something that is not thought about in this country at all. Um, and to the extent that it happens in Westminster, it's well down the agenda. It's, you know, a long way down after things like, like Rwanda. Um, It is not one of Rishi Sunak's five priorities. I suspect if you asked Rishi Sunak to list his top 50 priorities, Northern Ireland wouldn't be on it. It is simply not thought about.
0: Yes, and isn't that really dangerous and really sad? Because there are hundreds of thousands of people who are Unionists and in their own mind they're British, which they are, in the North, who desperately want to protect their British identity. They don't want to be in a united Ireland, but really they are the victims, the worst hit victims of this strange situation. Well, if the Brexit thing taught us
2: anything, and populism generally around the world, yes. you know, we can talk about Trump, we could talk about Orban, we could talk about Maloney, we could talk about Le Pen. It's that identity trumps money. Identity is far more important than economics. You mentioned the money that is available to the politicians of Northern Ireland if they reconstitute democratic governance. I think the the answer to your question is that the money doesn't matter, Eamon. Identity is far more important than the money. And that as with Brexit, people were told if you do this thing called Brexit, you will be poorer as a result. And to the extent that that was believed, I mean, a lot of people t- try to deny that, but to the extent that it was believed, when people w- w- were pointed out the actual amounts of money that they're going to, they simply said, we don't care. This, yes. this taking control of our borders, our expressing our identity as Brits rather than Europeans is far more important than uh, incomes and jobs. And, and that's that's the reality, I think, is that that what the DUP and their supporters are saying is that these questions of identity are far more important than public sector pay. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today.
1: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Let me ask you about the Labour Party and Sir Keir Starmer's prospects of being in Downing Street after the next general election, which, if I'm understanding it right, has to take place this year or very early in 2025. Will the Labour Party be able, do you think, to operate? Or will the Tories, as it seems to me, looking at some of their policies, leave the country in such a state economically as well as to make it virtually impossible for the Labour Party to, for example, revitalise and make the National Health Service, which is Britain so proud of, make it work again.
2: If there is no money, uh, then Britain is not going to be made to work again, including the NHS. The, the country needs money to, in order to be able to do certain things. And the the most important thing is actually investment in all sorts of different ways. the The problems facing Britain go back at least the t- the fourteen years of Tory government and probably predate even even that. And the way in which we're seeing fevered speculation about what the Tories are up to, I think, can best be given by an example of the commitment that Keir Starmer has made to over the life of a parliament increase environmental spending by 28 billion pounds. And that's attracted a lot of publicity. The Troy's attacking him as being a classic uh, spendthrift, um, classic spender of taxpayers' money on things that are nonsense, all the usual things. And th- Today, we got some news that borrowing uh, is coming in less than expected for the public sector um, yes. and the, giving some room. It, the speculation is going that for Jeremy Hunt to cut taxes in the budget, that is exactly the wrong thing to do from an economic perspective. The right thing to do if you've got if, and it's a big if, and we, remember, we're just talking about lower borrowing. We're not talking about a surplus of cash. We're talking about the economy borrowing a bit less than we previously thought. And in the smoke and mirrors world of economic and fiscal accounting, that apparently gives him some room to cut taxes, which is the same thing as saying to borrow more. Um, The right thing to do would be to not spend it at all in order to improve the fiscal situation of the country. And to the extent that there is a need to spend money, it's not on tax cuts, it's on infrastructure spending in the economy. Either way... The temptation for Hunt now is to spend every spare penny that he thinks he's got to to make sure that it's not available to Rachel Reeves, the likely incoming chancellor. And that's the scorched earth policy that many people in Westminster are talking about, is that they are definitely trying to make things as difficult as they possibly can, because if, if you think about... Anybody thinking strategically, I'm not sure anybody does think strategically in this country, certainly not in the Tory party, but if you want to make Keir Starmer's first term of office his last term of office, you bequeath him an economy in tatters and a fiscal situation such that he doesn't have scope to do anything about that economy being in bits. And the way to do that is to give him a huge borrowing requirement on day one so that the only way he can spend money is by putting taxes up. And that just sets up him being a one-term prime minister and that, as I say, that might be looking around too many corners at once, but they are in no mood to bequeath an economy that is growing, a public sector that has finances in good shape, or indeed anything other than this scorched-earth policy. And the temptation for these people must be very, very great.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Tory party, you wonder the prominence of Suella Braverman, who soon sacked. She's now waiting for the Tories to lose the next election to make her leadership bid. Let me ask you a question about Liz Truss, who was briefly prime minister a couple of months, I think. Uh, and quasi Kwarteng, who was her Chancellor of the Exchequer. There's a lot talked about the damage Kwasi Kwarteng did with her approval to the British economy by mad policy. First of all, Chris, what was her big thing economically and what was Kwasi Kwarteng's big thing? Because we're told that they destroyed the British economy and damaged it so severely that anyone coming in after she was sacked and quasi, I think she sacked him before she, she was sacked herself, what did they do and how mad was it? Unfunded tax cuts. They announced that the way in which th- the Britain's
2: economic problem is to be cured is by cutting taxes massively um, without any sense of where the money was coming from other than to simply say, well, we'll, we'll just borrow the money. And that spooked the all-important government bond market, the the market in which the government actually borrows the money, and uh, sent something called bond yields, long-term interest rates, the cost of government borrowing skyrocketing, which, because it happened so quickly, um, destroyed or came close to destroying the British pension fund industry. It's one of those esoteric Financial market pension fund things that people's eyes glaze over when, when you try to understand what's going on. But until it was, you come to your pension, until it comes to your pension. And the Bank of England had to step in to the tune of over 60 billion pounds to rescue the British pension fund industry. And if it hadn't done so, the knock on effects from that would have been very serious. So they didn't wreck the economy, but they did threaten to wreck A, the government borrowing market, B, the British pension fund industry. And what all that could have meant possibly if the British pension fund industry or significant chunks of it had become insolvent, that represents significant consequences, not just for the pensioners concerned, but for the investments that those pension funds actually make in the British economy. So it meant that the, that the Bank of England had to rescue the uh, or deal with the consequences of the disastrous quasi-quartain budget. And then the Conservative Party had to get rid of them because they had caused all of these things to happen. Today, because of what I was saying earlier on about Jeremy Hunt now going for tax cuts, more and more, he's beginning to look like Liz, Liz Truss and quasi Kwarteng-type economic policies. This is the bizarre, I suppose, ironic thing. And Liz Truss is going around the place saying, look, they're just doing what I was doing. She plans to come back, doesn't she? She would certainly like to. And the, the rumors are rife about who is going to be doing what, and what kind of fight there is going to be. Because uh, if Sunak loses the election badly, or if loses the election in any way, shape, or form, actually, even if it's a hung parliament, Sunak's gone on day one, in my view. Um, it, it, Suella Braverman is another one who is, is shaping up to try and to take over, and yes. she's she promoting very heavily, um, and she's got a couple of acolytes on the back benches now. Um, Robert Jenrick is another... Prominent player in this in this regard. Uh, you, you often ask me, Eamon, about what, what do Britons think about all of this, and what what is life like, and how how is life actually changing? And um, I refer you to there's a f- fantastic film out at the moment called One Life, and it's with a famous British a Welsh actor actually called Anthony Hopkins. Yes, and he's playing somebody called Nicholas Winton. It's a true life story. Of a chap, a stockbroker actually, ironically, you would don't expect stockbrokers to be to be doing this sort of thing, who who um before and during the Second World War rescued hundreds of uh Jewish children from from Czechoslovakia. And it's, it's a it's a it's a tearjerker, it's a true life story, it's a remarkable story of of um compassion, uh people an individual taking action to save people's lives in the face of tyranny. And it's all about refugees, and This is the point and, about right. Sue so, It's all about bringing people into Britain that needed to come here at the time, and if only he could have done more and all this sort of thing. And when the lights went I saw this film on Sunday, which is why I'm talking about it. When the lights went up, I heard somebody in the audience say, I wonder if Suella Braverman has seen this film.
0: Yes, and the feeling I have when I look at the Tory party now is that after 14 years in power, after Johnson and Truss, and now Sunak with his Rwanda fetish, that what's coming in Britain isn't just the change of government, but something more, that the Tory party itself has been taken over by people like Braverman by with a weak man, Sunak, and that it isn't really the Tory party anymore. And Brexit... And I keep coming back to, there's an article in today's Financial Times, actually, by Martin Wolf, who's a really, you know, outstanding, and he talks about the alarming consequences of Brexit. And we also know, don't we, from recent uh, polls, that a majority now think Brexit was a mistake,
2: Yeah, Brexit's one of those things, Eamon, that we, our heart sinks when we see these headlines, when we see these articles written by Martin Wolf, which I have read. It's fantastic. It
0: is a really, it's, it's, it's it's a very
2: powerful piece, actually. It begins powerfully and just, just continues. And it talks, it begins by talking about the spread of populism. It, I would thoroughly recommend it to, to anybody. Despite the fact that um, our hearts sink when we see Brexit, we, we, we would like to think it's gone away. We'd like to think that it's been brushed under the carpet. Um, many people are bored to death by Brexit. The fact is that it's front and centre of Britain's problems. And yes. it, it, has, it is having, it has had and is having and will continue to have a corrosive effect on the economy and also society at large, because you have all sorts of things that that flow from it. Um, our friend that we've talked about uh, last week, the chief Brexit negotiator for Boris Johnson, Lord David Frost, wrote his weekly article in the in the Daily <laughs> yeah. Telegraph, and that's a yeah. separate discussion. Going, you know, the ownership of the British media is is a really fascinating subject at the moment because the Telegraph yes. is threatened with takeover by Abu Dhabi. That's a separate discussion. Anyway, Frost wants immigration reduced to to zero. Immediately, it's uh, and uh, it's absolute absolute
0: nonsense. Um, yeah, he was the British negotiator. I should remind our listeners on the Brexit matter for most of the time it was in the process of uh, being agreed, and he was put into the Lords, if I'm not mistaken, by Boris Johnson as a thank you. But he is a hard nut and a crude, right wing Briton of a kind that we really, really do not like anywhere, and I'm speaking as someone who does like Britain, but he is a hard nut, isn't he? Yeah, and
2: represents the worst of the Brexiteers uh, of which there are plenty, and the Tory party is paranoid about the Reform Party, which is the, what the Brexit Party used to be, what UKIP used to be, and maybe Nigel Farage is going to make a comeback, and will the Reform Party take 10%, 12% of the vote, and that'll mean even more devastation for the Conservatives. The problem, Eamon, is that all of this is superficial nonsense. It really doesn't get to the heart, to the complexity of the problem. And if you want to, you can actually see people thinking very seriously about how whoever is in charge over the next few years, the task of facing them to turn Britain around. And there's a report out today from something called the Resolution Foundation. It's a fantastic read. And just to read the summary, I think would give you a sense of just how problematic it's going to be turning Britain around, given how deep the problems are. Yes. And I'll just quote a couple of lines from it. Britain needs to invest in its future rather than living off its past. Over the past four decades, we've been the weakest investors in the G7. It's the lowest investing, most unequal, uh, from an income point of view, economy in Europe. And and the report goes on about the various steps that could be taken to arrest this economic and therefore social and political decline. You know, the reason why we've got an NHS on its knees is that, you know, it's complicated, but one of the key factors is we ain't got any money and we ain't got any money because this economy – in on many respects hasn't grown for 15 years it's just not generating the money that we need to support our public and other services and the task facing any income incoming administration keir starmer or whoever is going to be absolutely massive and if you think that the superficial politics that we've had for the last few years in britain are likely to continue then you would have to be very pessimistic about anybody even understanding these problems let alone coming up with the policies to deal with them because those policies are going to be very have to be very radical and they're going to be very difficult to execute and th- th- it's a really open question as to whether we're up to the task let me
0: ask you a question about populism because if we look across the world Orbán in Hungary Trump in the United States just being two examples Le Pen in France being another example whose popularity is ever growing apparently Would it be fair to say that populism, particularly as embraced by Boris Johnson and therefore becoming central to the Brexit project, that it satisfied something in the British psyche about immigrants and standing alone and red-blooded Brits and all of that nonsense, that populism could have killed the Tory party has severely damaged Britain, and that at its most potent, it delivered Johnson a parliamentary majority of 80. And of course, it delivered the Brexit that was supposed to set them free.
2: I think populism has served a minority interest, and there were certainly enough people who are, as you described there. I don't think populism was the whole factor behind Johnson's success i think the fact that Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the labor party yes. at the time and and unelectable no matter who he i yes. think any anybody that faced Jeremy Corbyn would have won that election quite frankly so i don't think it's entirely about populism but populism clearly is on the rise everywhere and i think that the, the key factor this year is going to be november when um, donald trump yes. is or is not reelected and that will determine where populism goes and i think that will either be seen as the high watermark if he doesn't get in or the next leg if he
0: does yes are you worried very okay chris as always it's a pleasure to talk to you that's chris johns former uh, chief economist with the bank of ireland and now a respected commentator and a very welcome guest always on the stand we're grateful to chris to all of you for listening that's all we have time for now we'll talk to you soon